Welcome to Exceptional E-Commerce presented by the DTCX community. Make sure you join us in the Facebook lounge and at one of our upcoming events. Joining me is another Canadian food entrepreneur. We must flock together is Melissa. She's the is it founder or co-founder of Spreadem Kitchen. <laughs> Founder, founder, solo founder, a rarity these days. Co-founder just rolls off the tongue, even though I'm a solo founder myself. Now, we we were talking in the green room about what we want to talk about. And Melissa really has such a, an amazing story of coming from, a, I don't want to steal your thunder or put words in your mouth, but we'll call it a, a rough childhood, perhaps, or maybe not the most advantageous one into starting a business. And that's really interesting because I've always believed that entrepreneurship is is a ticket that anyone can play. It's a very hard game. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but anyone has a chance to start a business. And I really do believe that. And Melissa is one of those success stories, which is harder than you might think to imagine. Because in the U.S., if you are born on the wrong side of the track, so to speak, you only have a 6% chance of making it out of poverty. So, Melissa, an absolute honor to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So let me turn it over to you because I I'm I know that I'm going to be picking my jaw up off the floor at some points, but I'd love to just hear about how you got started with the, the Spreadham Kitchen and, and your journey up until up until launch, and then talking a little bit about how you connect with customers and sell on the website and across a large, logistically challenging country. Yeah. So I think like food, of course, not everyone, when they get into entrepreneurship, very few people choose food. So I think going back to childhood, how food was such a really important part of sort of our of our life most of the stuff we got was from food banks and those sorts of things because we you know I had a single mom and we were kind of having hard times and she did suffer from you know addictions and and mental illness and, and certain things like that so it was really up to me to sort of be the chef of the household for my sister and my brother and just when you get stuff from the food bank then it's not always a a good selection of different things it's a lot of pasta Mm -hmm. pasta sauces and so I guess originally my creativity from food came as a hobby of having to be sort of that that person in the household who was the head chef and learning to be creative with the ingredients that you have um, became kind of important because when you're a kid, you're pretty imaginative. Sometimes you just put, ke- you don't have tomato sauce, you just put ketchup on the noodles, you know? And maybe yeah, for an or, adult, you would be like, I don't want to do that, right? Because you know what ketchup is. But like when you're a kid, it makes sense. Yeah. Or when I was, I must have been four, it was before kindergarten, maybe three. And you could have a peanut butter sandwich or a cheese whiz sandwich. I made a combo. I made both and it was delicious. And to this day, it's something that'll have maybe once every couple of years is a very nostalgic taste. But if you were to show most adults that you'd think, what, what the hell are, What's are you wrong doing? with you? So, <laughs> yeah. No, A, cheese whiz on its own is disgusting. Why would I mix that with peanut butter? And B, no. And, and I think that that's so important is tapping into that childhood level of creativity. And for, for both of us in, in a way that came out through through food and so so let's jump back on on, onto the story before i derailed us with our peanut butter and cheese with sandwiches of how you you really got started with the with spreadham kitchen and and your journey from from childhood all the way to being an entrepreneur yeah so i think like you know growing up in poverty isn't easy especially with you know 
you know, extra stigma attached to how you associate yourself with poverty. I think when people and entrepreneurs talk about mindset, it's it's really a huge thing that is ingrained in behaviors that you adopt without even really realizing it and understanding that sometimes those behaviors can limit what you think you can achieve without you even really knowing it. And so I think with through Spreadem, I was able to overcome some of that stuff because the barrier to entry for what I how I started it was quite low. I, I got a five hundred dollar credit card for the first time ever when I turned around thirty. And I used that money to sort of, you know, buy ingredients and to start up in the farmer's market for Spreadum. And I think before that, I'd only ever really worked minimum wage jobs, even though I went to college several times. I mean, I had student loans, but I never really had the confidence to work in those places. And so there was both this fire from working minimum wage jobs, but always wanting more, always living paycheck to paycheck, knew I was smart enough to do it, but not knowing how that was going to all come together. And so starting Spreadum, I didn't put any pressure on myself to start a business. I think a lot of people sometimes do. They're like, I'm starting a business. I've got an allocated amount of money. I write a business plan. And you know, this is how it's all going to work out. And for me, I started spread them as a summer thing I was doing in the farmer's market, I was going to sell these dips to raise money on the weekends while still working my other job to figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing with my life that could help me earn more money so I could eventually start a family like I'm 30 years old I you know I want to start getting my life together and Vancouver is pretty expensive to live into so it's really not easy to claw your way into no it's not even it's, people making ninety thousand dollars a year are living paycheck to paycheck here right yeah, so it's the average house is what like two million dollars now and like it's, it's not even a nice house yeah <laughs> no it's I'm I'm looking in Toronto which it's neck and neck now but it's a condo 800 square feet you're at par with the highway is 700 grand, yeah. let alone a house that you have to put 300K in just to make it livable, let alone nice. We'll start the bidding at $1 million. Oh, yeah, definitely. Here, you're starting the bidding at 1.7 for teardown. Yeah. Like, it's well, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, I'm thinking on the outskirts of the city, let alone any sort of location. So it's, it's crazy how so many entrepreneurs get started as that side project or a way to make a little bit of extra money to, to put in the bank for a rainy day. If you know, you get evicted and you have to find a new place to live and your rent's going up 400 bucks a month. Well, at least I, I can cover that for the first couple of months or start paying off some of the, those student loans. How, what was your first product and how did you get started? So you mentioned that you got a credit card for the first time in your thirties and you use that to, to buy ingredients and sell at the farmer's market. What was your, your first product? And I'd love to hear how the company has evolved and grown since then. Yeah, so the first product was a beet dip, a beet and cashew-based dip. So I had done a trip to Australia, and it was on a budget. And I got inspired by this beet dip that they had there. And in Australia, they put beets, pickled beets on absolutely everything. And I got obsessed with it. And when I got home, I was just like, you know, really? And I've always loved dips. So that was also part of my childhood thing. It was like, I had this paper route. I would always, when I got paid for my paper route, I would go to the convenience store, Max Milk. I would get a Philadelphia cream cheese onion dip and a bag of Lay's chips. And I, we didn't have a remote control. And I would lie on the floor and use my toe to channel surf the four <laughs> channels that we had, you know, CBC, yeah. Global or whatever. Global, and that was like, going, yeah, going back to your nostalgic thing about peanut butter and cheese with sandwiches. 
that was like a, a small piece of joy in an otherwise very hectic childhood that I had with a poise with a lot of responsibility. And, and so dips have always been something when I I've always loved and been creative with, cause they're super easy. You can take, eat a lot of vegetables. So health is also really important to me. I've always mm-hmm. been somebody who instead of eating ketchup, I will take dates and tomato paste and, you know, and I'll blend them together to make a healthy ketchup or like, you know, I've always been that type. I make my own veggie burgers when I was a vegetarian and that sort of thing. So, so I started making this beet and cashew sort of pesto thing and all my friends loved it at parties. And I thought, you know, this will be something I can sell at the farmer's market. There's no beet, anything, everything's hummus, yeah. garlic or roasted great. red pepper. Test as well of how easy it is to buy this product. And if it's hard to find, but you like it, that means there could be a market for it. And I, I just, I love how you got started at farmer's markets and that's how I started my first business. I was fired. I heard about some guy who was making money just selling it at trade shows and stuff. So I said, you know what? There's a, a trade show two weeks from now. I'll make some product and let's just see if I can sell it. And and I did, which is crazy to think of how that, that happened. And it's, I talked to so many people where it's a very similar story of, yeah, I made a product. I set up a table and I sold products. And it's that just pure, pure form of entrepreneurship of I'm going to spend a few hundred dollars on raw materials turn it into something more that people want. And it's funny how oftentimes that common thread is it's hard to buy elsewhere, but people want it. And sorry, yeah. I, I cut you off again because we were talking about how when you're getting started, there weren't that many dips. It was, it was hummus, maybe a caramelized onion hummus is about as as fancy as you, you could get. So you're at the farmer's market. It's spoiler. It sounds like things went pretty well, but walk me through that sort of, I'd love to know from that first farmer's market to when you knew you had a business and had to jump all in. Yeah. So I think from the farmer's market, obviously we sold out the first day we brought about, you know, 500 products. We sold out in like three hours, which was insane. Uh, so I ended up with like, you know, a thousand bucks or so in my pocket that day. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. I've never made money like this before in this short period of time. Of course, I didn't, at the time I wasn't really accounting for uh, the t- all the time it took me to make the dips because I, you know, you don't really value your time when you are in crisis, aren't used to earning money. Anyway, through that excitement, I was just like, I'm just going to do farmer's markets forever. Like I didn't really see my business beyond that until people started calling me outside of farmer's market dates wanting to meet me in the Starbucks parking lot, wanting to meet me in alleyways and like at their house to stock up. Like I'm not talking one or three dips. I'm talking 20, 30. They were freezing them. They were scared. They would never see me again or were worried that somehow they wouldn't make it to the farmer's market. And not only that, they were buying 20, 30 dips to share. Like they were giving them to their friends and their families and just like, you have got to try this. I had this like tribe of people who were so wowed by how different it was and how delicious it was and how clean the ingredients were, how there was no sugar in it and how also that it fit that niche of like hummus is kind of boring. doesn't have that really luxurious mouthfeel. It tastes like kind of health food in a way. So this tasted like really indulgent stuff, but it was totally dairy free. And I found a lot of people that were going to the farmer's market for one, they really valued clean food, but some of them had allergies or not just to dairy, but just in life, like pollen allergies, or they couldn't Mm -hmm. eat anything good. And so this was like this indulgent thing that was so healthy, but tasted so indulgent. And so I think they were just so wowed by it that they started sharing it. And so then it was at that point where I was just like, 
people begging me to go into a couple stores. I had like no experience. I didn't even own a car. Like I did this all on my bike. I had a bike. Wow. That's it. I did this all on a bicycle. I remember Dude. going to the local green green grocer to buy my vegetables yep. at the time. And they would order like big 50 pound bags of beets for me and boxes of mm. cilantro and all the things. I would pack that on my bike. Like we're talking like. Do you have a trailer? Yeah. No, we're talking Vietnamese style, like with uh, bungee cords. And yeah. it was ended up being a couple hundred pounds on my bike, and there was a slight hail going down. And I remember every all the employees of the store. Every time I came, they would they all come out to watch me go down the hill. You know what I mean? They were just like, "This girl yeah. is crazy!" Like I was dedicated, and I've always been dedicated. And I think that's also part of why everything I've ever done in my life, I've always put in two hundred percent because I always knew I'd have to work harder because of I don't have friends, I don't have connections, or I just had those issues where. I was like always giving, but I never got anywhere. I always felt like I was spinning my wheels. And this was the first time where things were just appearing to help me. Not only that, like I had very little. So I started with a bike, no car. I started only with $500. And, but like, I couldn't afford to buy coolers. This is a really great sort of thing in the beginning where like I had one cooler, but for the next few farmer's markets, if we were selling out, I was going to need more coolers. So I just was thinking, okay, where am I going to get these coolers? They're so expensive. Like 50 bucks is a lot at the time and then after like i don't know three or four days just thinking about coolers every day while biking back from my job as a pizza store waitress i see two no three perfectly good abandoned coolers in the rona parking lot at the corner like at the back i looked at them they looked brand new i i scooped them up i took them on my bike i took them home those sort of small things kept happening to me where it was just like oh how am i going to do this and suddenly the person would appear or like coolers would appear or, or you know just things like that and also I wasn't afraid to take things either though like I remember sample cups of the farmer's market I didn't know where to buy them I didn't think I had money to buy them so I did do a pretty sketchy thing where at 5 a.m every Saturday morning I would bike around to all the McDonald's there's about five different ones in my vicinity and I would put my hand down the ketchup sample cup <laughs> thing and I would throw them into a reusable bag until I got you know a couple hundred of them and I would use those to yeah. sample my dips at the farmer's market so I know a lot of people wouldn't do that you know what I mean and I did get chased out of a couple of McDonald's because I did that for an entire summer mind you um (laughs) you know but it was sort of that kind of dedication that I had that this is going to succeed I think was really the thing how I knew it was going to be a business and then when I once I got into stores so I started with four stores I just went in there with a little yeah Yeah, I was just going to say I'd love to hear how you got into your your first few few retailers if it was people who saw you at the farmer's market and they said we'd love to carry you did you start doing sales how did you get into the, the stores and let's transition into I call it the fun side of e-commerce, but it's the mostly challenging side of refrigerated food logistics. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd love to hear that journey of growth into getting into your first retailers. Yeah, I, I'm actually really shy kind of person. I don't really like going up to people, but you know, when you have this thing where you're like, I, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done and I don't want to fail. So I just went into about four smaller like mom and pop shops. I decided to make a cute little tasting bag for them. So instead of just dropping off samples, what I did was I I went to the dollar store and I bought like nice colored paper bag. I bought a little, I don't know, box that you could fold. And I put some veggie straws in the box. I put a little postcard, a handwritten thing in there about like, you know, how I created it. And then I put in four samples, full size samples of the product. And then I would go in and I'd be like, okay, who runs the deli can I talk to them and give them a sample and sort of tell them my story and 
So I think out of five of the stores I went to, four of them were like, yeah, bring these in. And I was like, okay, do, do I need a barcode? They're like, oh yeah, you need a barcode, you know? So I just researched <laughs> on the internet, okay, how do I get a barcode and like, you know, yeah. do all this stuff. And I, which is funny. I saw that exact same conversation pop up the other day and I think I bought the cheapest barcodes I could find. And then I realized, oh, you need GS ones because yeah, if they're not oh. certified. It's, you can be banned if you have the same one and you, someone scans your product and I'm just sweating like, oh God, I just spent $10,000 on packaging and these printed. I, I hope they last. It's oh, little things like that, that you, w- w- when you need it, people will, will tell you just not to go on a total tangent about, about barcodes, but I feel like every entrepreneur with a package good has gone through the barcode uh, conundrum of yeah. like, oh, where, where do I get a bar? You buy these things? Yeah. And they just kind of exist. Like yeah. what? Who sells yeah. bar? There's a registry? One, there's a barcode conglomerate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was that like means- weird things like that that you kind of just stumble upon. You're like, shoot, I got a week to figure this out. I was like, okay, well, I want to incorporate my company. I don't know what to do. I'm not paying for a lawyer. So I just sort of watched a couple tutorials online and did the thing. You know, it cost $300 instead of however much it costs if you get a lawyer to do it. Since then, we've restructured, of course, because I did it very poorly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? It was enough to kind of get me get me going anyway. And so then, yeah, I would just deliver these products on my bike still. I still didn't own a car at the time. I did upgrade to a commissary. So I did start making these in my home kitchen. I upgraded to a commissary space. And then just the orders just kept coming in. And I kept doing demos. Like my whole thing is getting as many people to taste this product as possible because you really have never tasted anything that is as delicious, but as much of like a flavor bomb as this. Like it really, people would light up. They're like, I was not expecting it to taste as good. And I've tasted good dips, but like this is like, otherworldly you know and I could see myself using this in a multitude of ways so that was my whole strategy for growing the business at that level was just get as many people to taste this as humanly possible hand out as many full-size samples as you you can and or do tastings at stores and those sorts of things and eventually I upgraded to a Ford Focus wagon from 2002 started doing my own sort of deliveries and grew it to about 60 stores um yeah, a lot. All out of the commissary too, which did not, it was tight in the fridge area. Most commissaries have very small fridges and I have some hilarious photos of going vertical using like ratchet straps to keep all of my boxes sort of in my area. But that was another thing too. Like I was so bootstrapping this. Like I really believed I didn't have money for things that there's a thing out here called Spud. Uh, they do urban grocery delivery, one of the first sort of like two home grocery delivery things. And they were one of my customers and I would go there and I would actually take their old boxes from other products. So before they put it in the cardboard bin and I would actually just reuse those. So all my boxes were different. I didn't go and buy 50 cent boxes. I just used old lettuce boxes or old dog food treat bag boxes that were, they just unbox them right for your product. So I would just take those back, tape them up and use them for my product. So I really saved a lot of money because I wasn't afraid to use untraditional things or I wasn't really cared about, I didn't really care about how the product looked to get to the store. But of course, the Mm -hmm. product itself was really nice and had custom packaging and all of that thing. So I think that kind of like really helped. And then, then I got distribution. So once I got to 60 stores on myself, I honestly couldn't go any further on my own or in my Ford Focus wagon, which also wasn't refrigerated. So I could only go for an hour sort of delivery jaunts around town and wanted to go to Vancouver Island and I had a lot of requests for other places. So at that point, it was a pull into distribution because I already had built up so much business and I honestly just couldn't handle the distribution point on my own where I think a lot of other CPD companies, they go into distribution without really having too many stores. 
and then they hope to use their sales force to get them out where I was lucky that I'm guilty as charged of that. And it's uh, a good friend of mine is a grocery mathematician and he would always remind me distributors distribute sales sell and you can't send distributors pallets of product and put the onus on them to move it. It's they make their margin with your product. Someone else's they want products that are already selling and moving. And that's the challenge with distributors is they need to make their 30 to 35 points. They want products that are going to move. They don't want their team and nobody's going to be as good of a sales rep as you, the Mm -hmm. sales rep for your distributor who is carrying 200 SKUs. They just want to take orders and say, okay, which ones do you want? And then occasionally throw in, Hey, we've got a promo here on spread and products. Do you want to add some marinated feta cubes? Sure. Okay. There's your upsell. That's my sales gig, but it's selling established relationships. Yeah, 100%. So I think that was something. And I honestly still at this point, I didn't have a business plan. Like I didn't know how big this business could be. I was just happy that I actually could pay myself, you know, a living wage. I still only had like one employee at the time. You know, I wasn't really thinking of a business. It wasn't until we were still in the commissary. I had hit over $1 million in sales in a commissary. We had no proper anything really, you know, I still was kind of using old boxes and like I was still bootstrapping it where I was like, okay, I got to get out of this bootstrapping thing. I think I have proved the concept. I think it's time for me to just like accept the fact I have a really good business idea. I put in the work and now I have to just get over whatever self-confidence issue I have or like I'm not a business person denial or whatever I was going through at the time to just be like, honestly, this is your chance. And I just started thinking about that Eminem song, you know, um, from the eight mile soundtrack. And I was like, this is your chance, man. You could be, you could be, that could be you, you know, like you can, you have every right to sort of play in this space. So just do it. And so I was like, okay. So I finally found a place, signed my very first commercial lease, it was small, but that's a big commitment to somebody who yeah. could barely pay back their student loans, had their wages garnished at one point because they couldn't even afford food. But yet they, I couldn't afford my payments, but also, you know, and to go from that sort of level of like living out of a, all my stuff I own is in a garbage bag to signing a lease for a space, buying equipment and having four or five employees, an actual office. That was like a huge mm-hmm. moment for me. And I think now we've since moved from that space into a 20,000 square foot space and, you know, we're wow. upwards of $5 million in sales and things are really blossoming. We're trying to navigate, you know, conventional, but then this whole thing came up with Shopify, right? And like, mm-hmm. how, how can we go back to our roots of connecting with customers as we grow huge in like mass grocery, but all along my growth really did come from interactions directly with people tasting the product, sharing all of my optimism for life and just my high vibe energy with people made them attracted to me, made them attracted to the product. And so there came a part where we had to really figure out how are we going to manage getting the word out with these mass grocery stores who were one of 100,000 products um, and most people across Canada haven't even heard of us so they don't have that connection Mm -hmm. to us and so that's kind of how why we started up our Shopify it was a great opportunity to connect individually again and I I'm just going through the blog reading the recipes and even hey first off your visuals are impressive I struggled to get visuals half as good of a a nice over flat lay of all the ingredients and that can be one way to connect with a potential customer or better yet, having them 
try the product, they try it once, and then months later they receive an email from you, and then they happen to be in Whole Foods or Loblaws and see, oh, it's a we have a, a, a two for sale where it's two spreads for ten bucks or whatever the the promo happens to be. What's your philosophy? Because I, I know shipping a in Canada isn't easy. B shipping foods isn't easy, and C shipping anything that's refrigerated is especially not easy. How do you use the website now on on Shopify? over the customer lifecycle journey? Yeah, so we use it as a way to, we use it more for marketing than we do necessarily to make money with the customer. So it's a great place for us to connect one-on-one with each individual order that we get. You know, I send a personal message, a thank you. I'm letting them either, linking them to a recipe on the website to one of the products that they had ordered. Like for repeat customers, we use, you know, we've always made experimental flavors that have become something that people at the farmer's market really love. And so we'll, we'll pop some of those into people who, you know, have been like you've already purchased six or, or on our subscription lists or something like that. Um, we use the newsletter to sort of share stories and, and or philosophies on things and to really sort of build that values connection with the people that are buying the product. Because obviously it is also a lifestyle when you're selling a product that is specialty or kind of a higher premium price product. People aren't just buying it for the taste. They are, but they also want to be a part of whatever it is, movement or whatever it is that you're doing. And so the idea is that we want to then drive those people after they've had a few interactions with us on the website to surrounding stores. Mm -hmm. And what do you find is the biggest driver of purchase? Is it lifestyle? Is it uh, plant-based diets looking for alternatives? Is it Dietary restrictions, say lactose intolerant, where they really want a cheese or, or a dip and there's just, there's milk products and so many things that it's nice to just have something that's not a hummus, which I don't, I, I like hummus, but it's more rich kind of product. It's not really a snack to dip too much in. Like I like, I like hummus on, on a steak sandwich, not necessarily to just dip a chip in and have a sweet treat. What do you find are the biggest drivers of purchase are with your customer base? It is taste for sure. We have some really unique flavor combinations that are kind of like restaurant quality. So it's people who maybe are used to going out to eat one or two days a week and experiencing other cultures or unique flavor combinations, like not just your regular old roasted red pepper hummus and or whatever. Um, So I think it is taste in that sense. But I also think in tandem with people who either have had a significant health event, um, whether that be heart disease, recovering maybe they're they're diabetic now or type 2 diabetes or maybe they're recovering from colitis or an injury <clears throat> those types of people really value and really understand that food is fuel and food is has an effect on your body um, and that's something that i you know underlies everything that i do is the importance of what you put in your body like the food you use recreates your cells for you and do you want those to be at of the most perfect you know best ingredients or do you want those to be cells made out of craft dinner oh and processed food and those sorts of things when you look at like your outward physical body and what it's capable of yeah do you want that made out of a donut and saturated fats or do you want that made out of the, the best quality source proteins and the highest quality fats that have flavonoids and all these per- you know things in them and so i think people who understand that buy our stuff because they get the benefit of being able to eat something that is superior quality above anything else I've ever seen in the market, what we do, but also tastes 
so flavorful, no weird aftertaste, no like green powder flavor. You know, you drink that stuff in the morning because it does your body good, but you're not, you're not craving it. You know, you kind of want to Nothing chalky. Yeah, exactly. Nothing too pithy. Yeah, exactly. With like some kind of weird bitter tone or like, oh yeah, Yeah, because it's good for you. you eat an artichoke heart and you're like, well, that was fibrous. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think it's that we've really hit the sweet spot in marrying those two things together that People who only buy for taste, which is totally fine, we're doing you a favor and you don't even know it and you probably don't care and that's fine. I can go to bed at night knowing that I'm making the world a better place by providing something so delicious that people don't even care that it's so good for them. But then we also really are appealing to the people, which are the people who are willing to spend more on food, of course. They're getting something indulgent that tastes amazing and they're not compromising. Mm -hmm. No, I think that that's so important on both sides because- no matter how healthy it is, if it doesn't taste good, people aren't going to rebuy. It has to taste good. And I'm sure that's a, another podcast as we wrap it up here. But you really are hitting on someone's senses like the way a musician would or a visual artist. It, it has to be enjoyable to experience. So, Melissa, just an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I'm sure we could go another two and a half hours if we we really wanted to. But if people want to know more, I know that they can go to spreademkitchen.com. Check out some recipes there. You can buy direct. Hey, you also have a store locator. So if people want to buy maybe just a couple of products, spend 20 bucks or less and not force you to, to lose money on a sale, they can find a store as well. And if people want to get in touch with you directly, how can they contact you? Oh, yeah. They can just send an email to melissa at spreademkitchen.com. And yeah, I'm available. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll be on the lookout for your products. And I can't believe how much fun we've had here discussing some of these meat and dairy alternatives. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lovely chat. Absolutely. I'm so, so glad your team reached out. Thank you. Bye. Hey. Hope you enjoyed this technically speaking video, part of exceptional e-commerce. There's a few other videos here, here, maybe here, here. I don't know how they set it up. So go click them, watch something, learn something new, maybe prevent a lesson and make sure you hit the subscribe button.